0: Kieran, I'm Hana, this is Kitchen Table Cult, where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Karen. Hey, Hana.
1: Today we're taking a, a listener question. Um, Bethany asked us um, a whole bunch of questions that I feel like could take up a whole lot of time, but we're going to try to cover most of them in this episode. Um, and there's a few questions that we don't want to
0: answer and we'll explain why. Do we want to start with the ones that we do want to answer or just, start, we from just the stop from,
1: start from the top and go down?
0: All right. Uh, when did you start having sister mom duties in your household and what did that look like?
1: Uh, I think we had the same answer to this question, didn't we?
0: Yeah, I think we did. So
1: we should explain what sister mom
0: is first. Right. So in my, my experience, uh, was basically, you're the oldest sister. And because of that reason, you get to, uh, you're kind of like an indentured servant and you basically get to be a mother. You get to be, I, I described it as a surrogate mm-hmm. mom when I was uh, in that culture. And so I did everything that my mother did for my mother, despite like, you know, not having children, not being an adult. Uh, But I had all of the responsibility, especially as I got older, um, to do what my mother would have done, what mothers usually do.
1: Yeah, I think um, indentured servant is a really good way of looking at it. I think there's this idea of like you are obligated to be completely um, submissive to the agendas of the family and the needs of the family until the point where you are emancipated by having your own family to take care of. So you never really get a break from any of these things. Um, it's all training. Yeah, but it's all practice. And and uh, and you, because you b- belong to the family, you are an asset to the family. You, you don't have a, really any choice for how you go about participating in it. Um, and, I mean, this is why we've talked about this before, where we really, <laughs> like, both related to all of those, like, orphan narratives of like the older yep. sibling raising their kids like boxcar yep. children isn't the one of it they're the only one there's like this entire genre of literature around this where it's it's like you know some tragic accident happens to pioneer parents and the oldest daughter has to raise them and those were the stories that i resonated with them, because yeah. i i mean i've always joked that i've raised five kids already and I wasn't there from yep. like the beginning to end, but I was doing all the a lot of the work. I was mom's right hand, and I was second mom. So yeah,
0: yep, sister mom. Yeah, so that's what that means. Uh, and for me, I guess that um, like fulfilling that role started when I was eight, mm-hmm. between like eight and nine.
1: Mine was like seven when I started doing dishes and like helping watch the baby. It was like basically as soon as I was tall enough to reach the sink and help load the dishwasher um, or old enough to like be coordinated enough to fold laundry, I could do it.
0: Yeah, I guess when like I started doing really basic stuff when I was about seven and my like third sibling or sister uh, was born and then it was like, oh, hey, you have arms. You can hold this toddler that's fine
1: yeah i remember walking into uh, the house of one family i used to babysit for um and they had a bunch of boys and i remember like at that point being like really into this idea because it was boys doing work and at that moment my my family didn't really have my brother doing any of the chores yeah i think he did dishes and like that's it um he didn't even do his own laundry but they had this like four-year-old boy and his older brother, who's like maybe five, they were really close in age, um, up on chairs loading the dishwasher together. And I was like, wow, that's so great. Because I just, it was only good because it meant that their older siblings didn't have to do so much work. So I felt like that was something I wanted because I was doing too much and I was overwhelmed.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. I never had the experience of getting to see what other families did because I was always at home doing all of the work. So as soon as I was able to reach the oven, I was doing lunch every day. Mm-hmm. I always did breakfasts for everybody every day. Uh, and and the dishes and the laundry and basically all of the inside chores. And then my brother would do the outside chores. Yeah,
1: we divvied things up differently every couple of years. My mom would try to create a new system to do it. Um, and I will say like... Toward the end, like, my last year and a half of high school, I had fallen so far behind that my mom had this realization that I was not going to graduate on time if, I, if something didn't change. And so she, like, I think I kept my dinner dishes duties and occasional babysitting. Um, but I got relieved of most of the usual stuff. No, I still, had, I still had a lot of the same chores. I just wasn't the one she would call to help. That's what it was. So I still had all of my same tour obligations in terms of the ones that were officially assigned but she would go to someone else first in a crisis um which like freed up massive amounts of time and I was able to graduate Mm -hmm. on time but um even still like that shouldn't have happened
0: (laughs) no what my parents did instead after I started high school and that workload started becoming a lot is they were they just decided that um I'd learned everything that I needed mm-hmm. and it was time for me to graduate because uh, they needed me to help run the entire household and do the budget and raise the children because my uh mom's pregnancies over time got worse to the point where like she was incapacitated for nine right. months so. Yeah, that was why I graduated when I was fifteen. Was because my parents yeah. were like, "Well, your well, school you, is taking you, up too much of your time." So, well,
1: and <laughs> and we had different situations in terms of that. Like, you were not expected to go to college. I was expected to go to college, which was such mm-hmm. a unusual thing for.
0: That was rare. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um. Okay. So then the the f- next two questions are kind of um. We're going to answer. We're sort of going to answer them, but we're not really um, comfortable with answering them the way they're phrased. So, um, so sister mom duties. How did that affect you and your siblings when you left the home, and how do you still see that affecting your siblings who are still at the home, if any of them are? I think there's a there's a dynamic that gets created by that. That's um, because you're parentified as as an older sibling. You don't end up being allowed to have be a child or like one of the group. So, um, the younger siblings resent you because they see you as having a whole lot more privilege than they do because you get given all this responsibility and with that seems to come a sense of authority, even though you are really getting just as much of a shitty deal as they are. Um. Yeah. You don't really have any say over it. And I, I used to be really upset a lot that my siblings didn't understand that, like, I wasn't the one who was being the big bad i was being the big bad because i was so afraid of getting punished for not being the big bad
0: yeah yeah i that bothered me too because it was also the same for me where i had all of the authority and none of the power behind it so i would get punished even more than they Mm -hmm. would but they wouldn't know because they only saw me as the enforcer or the caretaker yeah depending on what was happening. My
1: dad would, like, when we left for, when he and my mom would leave for, like, date night or whatever, Um, he would be like, all right, guys, you got to listen up to Hannah. While I'm gone, she's the supreme dictator. And this was a phrase that he created. And this, like, this created a lot of resentment. This made me seem to be, like, someone who is a despot. And I mm-hmm. f- didn't have any, like crowd management skills at that point. I was just desperate to, like, have everybody finish their chores and go to bed. Like, I didn't... I really didn't have any investment in being mean. But um, because he set up that adversarial tone, my siblings would, like... There'd be, like, little coups happening, and they would, like, play into that role of, like, we're going up against this authority that Dad set up who's this, like, evil person. And... I'd just be like, please just can you like just do your normal chores and like just do your thing and we'll watch a movie and go to bed. Like, this is so simple. Like, why do we have to like create a fight where like, no, we're gonna like go play on the computer for hours and ignore all of our chores and like yell at each other and refuse to help with anything?
0: Yeah, my parents would leave me in charge for hours, hours on end. And I would have no idea when they were coming back, but they didn't. They didn't set it up quite that adversarially. Like, I was allowed to punish the kids, and they informed them of that and were like, listen to your sibling because they're in charge and they can spank you if you get in trouble, or, or they'll tell us and then we'll punish you if you get in trouble. But I always just was like, we'll just watch movies and it's chill. So eventually they all realized that. When I was in charge, it was basically just free play forever because they didn't do as many of the chores. They did some chores, but I was the one who bore the brunt of it. So it was less of a all the chores need to be finished and more stop dying. Well,
1: (laughs) I would be trying to like keep a baby alive and that would often take a lot of energy. And around this time, it was like when it was twins, like twin toddlers. If you've ever had to like chase two and a half year old twins around the house when they're like, completely cannot communicate and all they want to do is get away from you and like pee on the walls Uh, like no yeah so there was no no way that i was going to be doing all the chores i was just trying to like keep these two kids from killing each other or someone else or themselves or you know climbing on top of the fridge and jumping off like or locking themselves in the dryer like i was just trying to keep them alive so trying to do any of the chores was not gonna really happen
0: yeah, no, this is why I'm like, everyone be in the living room where I can see you and watch a movie <laughs> or play yeah.
1: Right, keep them all <laughs> visible.
0: Yes, and if they're quiet, then I know something's wrong, and it's like, yeah.
1: Okay, so then the next question was about our siblings at home, and I think as much as I would like to answer this question that's their story, not mine, I will say that when I left for college, I know it was really hard on my next sister down. Um, because she had to take on a lot of stuff that I left. And that was a difficult transition.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for me, I'm not... I'm estranged from my family, and it, it is their story to tell, so I'm not comfortable, like, explaining how they took it because all I know is um, immediately after I left, my parents told my siblings that... I abandoned them and I didn't love them and that hurt them a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And one of my siblings reached out to me about it and we've talked since and they understand and that's good, but I don't really know I can imagine, but it's their, that's their story.
1: Yeah. I I will say things are, are very different with my family now that um they're not homeschooling anymore and that's made a a lot of positive changes and a lot of massive lifestyle adjustments but yeah the 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 effects the effects are long lasting they're not necessarily good and they're not mine to talk about
0: yeah
1: all right what's the next question
0: when do you see families successfully in quotes uh retaining their children and grandchildren in the cult as second and third generation members
1: And the follow-up question, which is related, are they more controlling, or do they allow their fam- their children more freedoms but still require certain religious parameters? <laughs> so in case you I mean, have that varies. In case you haven't figured it out yet, um, Kieran and I are both fairly Marxist feminist in our analysis of all of <laughs> these questions because it's the thing that makes the most sense. And, um, the families that successfully raise these, retain these people are the ones that have money. Yes. So the kids don't, either they don't want to rock the boat and like lose the, the financial support of their parents or they just don't ever lack for anything. So they don't really like suffer enough to like look into the system very much.
0: Yeah, they haven't had a reason to question.
1: I used to talk about this a lot with my ex-husband because there was a point at which he, in his feminist awakening, had not figured out that privilege was real um, and would argue that privilege wasn't real. And I would be like, well, of course you would say that. You're a straight white dude. And uh, I was like, you can't see it because you've not been hurt by not having privilege privileges are yep. blinders. So, um you don't have any incentive to question. Which is fine, but like also also not. Once you are aware that other people are having different experiences, it's it's something you should consider.
0: I think this is also why th- if this is my theory on why you see less um ex-quiverful cis men talking about things oh yeah and thinking sure. about things because they they didn't they didn't have sister mom they weren't the sister mom the entire system is created to cater to them. oh yeah so their voice is silent because
1: all they have to do they is bother to think stay about in it in the system and they get like ready-made pre-trained wives who are just as sexually inexperienced as they are and won't tell anybody that their dicks are tiny or i don't know um right. won't
0: have any way to know or won't
1: have any way to know that like you know they're not having orgasms um i don't know like right they, they're just that they, they'll just recreate the system because it's it's paradise it's like a 1950s like man's wet dream it's
0: exactly what they wanted yeah it's, well, it's exactly what, like, they're told to want, really. And then it just is so convenient and accommodating. So why would you question it?
1: I will say that there have been some men that I've watched coming out of that um, much later in the game. Um, mm. And it's usually once they've been married for a certain amount of time, they've had a couple kids or something, and then the wife starts, like, opening up about stuff. And that catalyzes the man to yeah. like, realize oh shit this is this is kind of messed up and it's if the man is empathetic yes if the man is not empathetic the marriage ends and things implode and everybody covers up but if the man is empathetic then there's there's a chance that things will um recover and he'll take it seriously
0: yeah obviously like this is different for everybody there are some people who who do think about it, some men who do think about it. There are some men who learn from their wives or from their sisters or like they realize things when they start having kids and they're like, oh no, that is bullshit. I don't want my mm-hmm. like, kids growing up in that environment. Um, but I feel like a lot of questions that like I've, I've heard before, not so much recently, but it's like, why aren't there any dudes talking about this? And it's like, well, p-
1: there are, but they've just like come really <laughs> late to the game. Or they are talking about this because they've, and this is something that I've experienced firsthand, where, like, men I've been involved with in my family or dating or married to or whatever, like, they've started to pick up on some of the language. Mm -hmm. And so they talk about it because they want to present this, like, facade of being woke so that people will trust them. And they don't really understand what words they're using or what these things mean um so they'll try to turn it i'm
0: yeah there's also that aspect
1: i have one ex too who, who regularly like g- flouts the like yes all men or yes all women thing by being like yeah, but some feminists are abusive and i'm like that's not that's <sighs> this is why you're an ex that's not how it works
0: no that's not how any of that works.
1: So, yeah, um I think that the the like the religion, the levels of religion and the freedoms or control, like it's all varies family to family, but it's like what incentives do they have to keep people in the family? And I usually think it comes mm-hmm. down to just like being upper middle class and financially stable.
0: Yeah, I've noticed there's a huge difference also between like, how healthy the family dynamic is, too. So, like, I had some friends who's, like, they didn't really question their parents, despite their parents being really radically conservative and stuff, because Mm -hmm. their parents are nice people. And they're like, well, but they weren't, like, mean and abusive like your parents were, so maybe they're fine. It's like, well, they still hold all of these things, and you're still, like doing all of these things that aren't great yeah. and you're believing all of these things that aren't great but it's like there hasn't been that catalyst because their relationship with their parents is fine
1: right and the relationship with their parents is fine maybe because like the dad's not a narcissist and he is an empathetic right. person who still believes terrible things but like he can make you feel heard and understood on a, in, an interpersonal level and so you don't really feel like it's worth dying on that hill
0: exactly Yeah, that's a dynamic I've seen a lot. Yeah, I've seen
1: that many, many, many times. So I hope that answers that question sufficiently. Um, The next question is a can of worms.
0: Yeah. Um, How did you approach sexuality once you got married?
1: (laughs) Well, when you don't even know what sexuality is, like, there's no approach. There's just a, like, well my body exists to get my husband off the end.
0: Yeah. I came out while I was married uh, because also I had no context about like sexuality or or what any of that was or that not dudes had a sex drive and libido (laughs) and you know, all of that. Um, And so yeah, that was a lot of trial and error, a lot of like physical conditions like I had vaginismus so like the only real kind of sex wasn't a thing that was actually able to happen right. because it was painful for me so I had to entirely and and we did this together like reevaluate what we thought about sex and what counted as sex and that was really the catalyst that opened both of us really up to figuring out sexuality and and how bodies worked because I thought I was broken because I couldn't have like the only kind of sex. Yeah, that, that I whole existed.
1: like penis and vagina missionary sex narrative is incredibly descri- destructive. I, th- yeah. I mean, just as a like a total sidebar, like the best sex I've ever had has been usually when that's not been on the table.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Because it's it's you get so much more creative, you get so much more personal, you get really um, focused, so much more fun. Yeah. You get, well, you just get. F- there's more of a focus on getting to know the uniqueness of your partner's body and their reactions and desires um, rather than following a script. Exactly. So sexuality for us, when you get married after purity culture, like it's supposed to be a zero to 60 thing. And I know that that was my mindset. And I was like, I'm just so randy. I'm just gonna like go for all of it. And honestly, that just didn't work um And trying to push it was not healthy um, yep. because you're not, like, that's not how bodies are designed. And it, when you do no. that, your body codes it as trauma. Yep. Um, It's too much. I had, I did some things. I did, like, a, a photo shoot for a Christmas present, like, right before our first anniversary. We got married in January. So it was, like, a, a boudoir photo shoot that I did for my ex but it it turned out that I was the one who really benefited from it a whole lot more than he did Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure he enjoyed it but like I really enjoyed like this feeling of being sexy in my body without needing to like satisfy someone else so it was just like doing this for me was really without expectations on the other side of it was really nice
0: Mm -hmm. art was like a huge part of becoming okay with my body and understanding it oh so So i would also like well i would i tried to do like uh self-portraits and i would just like stand in front of a mirror naked and draw myself and like figure out okay this is how my body works Mm -hmm. or i would I would do like a selfie boudoir and stuff and just sort of like take the time to be like, okay, this is just, this is what my body is and this is what it, this is how it works. And these are, and it just like helped, especially because I was so disassociated without realizing it for so long. So I didn't really, especially when I was like just married, have a concept of like my body. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what that even looked like, I could see it in the mirror, and like, I knew what it looked like, but I didn't really understand or have a mental image of what my body looked like until I started drawing it and seeing
1: yeah. it. And I, for me, um, I think the thing that really helps the most is figuring out how to have autonomy. Um, mm-hmm. Because sex in in fundamentalist marriage is so centered around pleasing your male partner. Um. Yep. And getting him off, and like your needs are secondary or questionable, even if they exist or not. Um, saying no is allowed, but it's like looked down on as this like selfish action. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of self protective or like emotionally intelligent, it's it's framed as this negative thing. So I this is this is definitely tmi here so if you're listening with kids maybe uh skip over this next
0: Pause. 30 seconds here yeah.
1: or something um but after i got divorced i i went on a little series of adventures where i would try to escalate to the next level i'd go on a date and i'd be like okay i'm going to hold hands on this date or like i'm going to kiss this person on this date or like i'm going to go home with them or i'm going to invite them back and like, I would have a limit where I'd say, I'm not going further than this in my mind. And so I, every single time I would leave it open to myself to decide if I wanted to go further than that, but because I had already planned that this was my, my edge, I would mm-hmm. say no, and it would be a really nice way of testing like how much they respected my boundaries. And, um, and it gave me practice saying no. Because I was really bad at it. Um, And that turned into um, discovering that one night stands were incredibly empowering. Because I could be performative in a way that like didn't leave me super vulnerable. I didn't require, like I wasn't expecting to get off. I wasn't expecting to like create a relationship. I just wanted to like mm-hmm. have a good time and show someone else a good time and then say no whenever I wanted and leave whenever I wanted. And that was that was transformative. um, And that's like, that laid the groundwork for me being able to like be in a normal relationship and ask for what I want or talk about my needs or be like, hey, I like this or I don't like that, which are all things that like were kind of off the table up until i was divorced and dating
0: that's really good i like that approach
1: so it's not necessarily a method that i recommend for anyone else but for trauma survivors who need to like relearn that they have autonomy it's really important
0: yeah all right that makes so much sense the
1: last question
0: are your ex-spouses still religious fundamentalists
1: this episode is not about them this podcast is about us
0: yeah, I'm I'm not talking about my ex more than is like really necessary for context in this podcast and their path is whatever their path is. Yeah,
1: my ex and I do not talk and our relationship is non-existent and um when I talk about him I am speaking in terms of my experiences with someone who grew up in the same culture with me, not about him as a human or um, you know, where he's at today. So all of this is about me and my experiences and he's off the table. Literally, off the kitchen table cult. <laughs> we we left him outside.
0: <laughs> <laughs> far, far, far away. This kind of um Wound up segueing more fluidly than I thought it would into what I kind of wanted to talk about, which is this weird space that I'm in right now where I have all of the experience of growing up as a woman, but on school, I'm red as a dude. Mm Mm-hmm. And so people listen to me. And now, as it turns out, people come to me for advice about how they can be better. How can they, like, support people who are being harassed. And so yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, you
1: should talk about that. <laughs> and I will, I will just say, like, this is like this. Two things. One is for anyone who doesn't believe that the patriarch is real, go interview a trans mask individual, someone oh who God. someone who grew so up assigned female you. at birth and who is now read as a dude, like, God, their experiences are so nuts.
0: <laughs> dating is really weird right now, so I'm not dating anybody else because I, like...
1: Be- besides your partner, you mean? It's weird.
0: Right, besides my partner. Yeah, and, like, it's... It's weird because the power the power dynamic is so confusing. Because I have all of this lived experience, but I am read completely differently, and I'm trying to figure out how to balance that. Like I, it's hard. Anyway, that's besides the point. It's just a frustrating. Well, you 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 talked to me.
1: You know, you talked to me a lot about like how like once your voice started changing. Um, people will listen to you in class or in meetings more, like when like, people don't interrupt you as much, that kind of stuff.
0: hmm Yeah, which is kind of fun because it means I can teach a lot of dudes about being decent human beings and learning empathy because apparently the low octave is the thing that, i was just talking Uh. to someone about this
1: yesterday (laughs) this is this is like tangentially related i saw a star is born and i know a lot of the the musicians i know have been criticizing bradley cooper for singing in a register that's too low for his actual voice and is like oh he's going to be like damaging his voice if he keeps singing in this like register because it's an octave too low and it's and then i was like talking to two guys in my cohort about it and they were like, one of them was like, "Oh, I think I do that too. Like my natural voice is higher than like what I used to speak in." And I was like, "Yeah, that's because y- y- that's like internalized misogyny. Because if you mm-hmm. sound effeminate, you don't get taken as seriously. So you've dropped your voice because you don't want to be dismissed for sounding female."
0: Yep, yep.
1: So you have you have yes. a, you have a whole segment. Go for
0: it. I have a whole segment. Yeah. Um, So with everything that's happened this week, I've had a lot of people, because I started, I did the queer coming out week this week on campus. And so I have had a lot of people ask me questions about how they can be better supportive of people who they see uh, experiencing harassment and being targeted. And um, so as someone who lives, like, who can see is in both worlds, really. I'm like, okay, this is what you do. This is what's helpful. This is what I did when I was more femme and it worked to varying degrees, but it's much more effective as a mask person. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you see someone or you know someone is being targeted for harassment, some easy things that you can do is to use your body to physically put distance between the person who's being harassed and the person who is doing the harassing like literally come up stand next to the person who is being harassed and look menacingly at the harasser until they back off (laughs) i did this at a party last week with a friend of mine who uh like is always targeted um by creepy men at these events Mm -hmm. because she's young and pretty. And so I was there in my leather jacket and I saw her and I just went over and stood near her and hung out and had other conversations but was in her vicinity enough and close enough that when dudes came over and tried to ask her out, I would just sort of look at them and I would let her take the conversation and direct it however she wanted and say nothing. But... They respected her no.
1: Right, because
0: <laughs> because I was there the individual
1: <laughs> was backing it up. Yeah, no, we did that in Kyrgyzstan too in the Peace Corps. Like if if um we would often have um like a guy with us if we were going out someplace that was new or, or you know, we'd just often travel in groups. And so it'd be this it's this situation where if like, okay, we're going out to this club or we're going out, you know, in in the city or whatever um and if i start getting harassed like i would one of the guys would pretend to be my boyfriend to back me up like Mm -hmm. they would just jump in and just like stand there and be like you said just like a passive threat
0: yep and that is super easy it's super easy to do and it's super effective and helpful i
1: talk about this a lot with my
0: like in this situation my
1: friends here because like um Street harassment's really bad in this town um that I live in. I is worse than I've ever had anywhere else, and as soon as I got a dog, it stopped like just wandering around with a dog meant that I was a female occupied and so like they didn't I like had a reason I was allowed to be out um wow is that's how I read it at least um but <laughs> it was it was funny because uh if I was walking alone, you know, just I. Obviously, I have no reason to be out and about other than, you know, to get attention. So they would give give, you know, harass me. But if I go out with a guy, like, it stops. It's just, it's so bad.
0: Like, it's awful. Yeah. The other thing is in these situations, it's also totally okay to point out that the questions or propositions that, the person is making are completely inappropriate and to take the attention of the harasser off of the target and onto yourself Mm -hmm. please miss please direct his attention somewhere else and also that it's rude and inappropriate and not okay
1: this goes on the internet too and i see i I have some guy friends who have done this for me we're like if i have someone who's like if i post something About these these topics that are related to the Me Too movement or whatever, and some guy comes and starts trolling me and is like, "Yeah, but like, do you have evidence for that?" Or like, you know, just like Mm -hmm. kind of casting aspersions on it. Um, I know I've got several guys that I can just tag in the post, and they'll just come in and and take it over, and I don't have to do the work of educating that person because I know the argument will go on a lot longer than I want, and they won't, Mm -hmm. he won't actually listen to me. But if a guy comes in and says the exact same things that I would have said anyway, yep. it's so annoying. I hate it so much.
0: It's so but I talked it's about effective. this in therapy, right? It's frustrating. Yeah. No, I, I had a good portion of my therapy session was like, it's really frustrating because I know the only reason that I'm being listened to is because my voice is lower than the girls in my class. Mm-hmm. And it, it's infuriating to me. Um. But my last point is learn empathy for crying out loud. It is not, I don't, I don't know how to explain empathy, but like it's, it's not hard to learn. You just have to have a little bit of imagination. And I'm pretty confident that everyone has enough imagination to learn empathy.
1: A good example of that imagination, like that thought experiment that was going around about like, Imagine if a, a woman kicked you in the balls.
0: Yes, I have that, that? link. It's gonna be in the description. Go yeah. read that.
1: That's really good. Like that's a that's a great thought experiment. Empathy is 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 based on your imaginative capacity. And when you're at the top of the heap socially, you are your imaginative capacity is usually pretty weak. This kind of goes along mm. with the whole emotional labor muscles being atrophied that we've talked about before. Go and go and read that, and imagine living like that. Yep. that's 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 how it is being an assault survivor.
0: Every single time you leave the house. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's rough. Uh, it's rough. I have to like it's, a, it's. I have to put on emotional armor before I go yep. out, and this is a lot yep. of times why I stay in and don't do things like I. I today is a gorgeous day. I want to go for a hike, but I'm thinking about like do I really want to, like, go put myself in a position where, like, all these other people are going to be outdoors today and I will run into men on the trail and have to, like, introduce my dog to them and say hello and let them monologue at me and I'm just tired. Maybe I'll just stay in.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Any any kind of excursion is so many spoons because there's just so much that you always have to think about. It's really irritating.
1: Yeah, and I and this is not me assuming the worst. This is just reality.
0: Yeah, it's not. It's not even overreacting. It's this is a just. It's it's like putting socks on and tying your shoes. It is just part of what you have to do. It's
1: pragmatic. Well, and I also have yeah. to do it anytime I'm talking or reading stuff online from allies. Like there was a. a
0: mm-hmm. This is something
1: I'm I wanted to talk to you about. Yes. On here, um, there's a post, um, that's been going around about like believing survivors in an age of narcissism. And um, it's shared by a member of an organization that I'm generally a fan of. Um, And it's about like believing women and believing abusers who like might have body memories of abuse victims, sorry, abuse survivors who may have um, like body memories that like their bodies are reacting to like trauma that they may not remember themselves so um you know talking about like why this woman um on her wedding night who had never been with someone else had like this like extreme physical reaction to trying to have sex with her new husband um and called up the author of this piece and the author was like like she's got some like she's probably got some trauma in her past we have to look into like where this came from like don't do anything and and the author of this piece who seems like an ally um then made an aside comment that was just like a, a super short line but it was like you know the husband was like so kind and giving that he like didn't right. expect anything and he didn't like force her heard like he was gonna he was willing to wait and that was sacrificial and the assumption of like Hi, not having sex with your wife who's just discovered that she had child, like, sexual abuse in her childhood is sacrificial. Excuse me? So you were entitled to something? You don't get cookies
0: for that, no. Nope. No, no cookies for you.
1: (laughs) That's rape culture. That's rape culture being perpetuated. And so, like, I have to be on,
0: I can't just read something.
1: I can't just read something. I have to be scanning for things like that all the time. I have to be like, okay, this person seems like they're saying something good but can I trust them? Oh, wait, nope, nope, nope. can't trust him because he doesn't understand this piece. Yeah. It's exhausting.
0: It really is.
1: And I'm sure he has the best of intentions and means well and isn't aware of it, but it's that empathy piece. Like, he hasn't had to be aware of it. Nope. So he doesn't know that he just, like, said something that perpetuates the idea that rape within marriage doesn't exist because your wife's body belongs to the husband.
0: Yeah, because he's never had to question that.
1: It makes me so angry.
0: It's so infuriating, which is why, like, dudes, it is on you to be better. Educate yourself. Learn things. Think about things. Think about the things that you've never had to question before. If there's something you realize you've never questioned, start questioning it now. Do it now. Think. Yeah, stop,
1: stop feeling sorry. Stop feeling bad. Stop, like, um, hating being a man. Your guilt does nothing.
0: Your education does. Um, Don't be sorry, be better. Right. Which kind of leads into uh, the question that um, I got earlier because I was asking people for questions. I was like, hey, I'm going to talk about this. What do you want to know? And so someone asked, when should we be listening and when should we be speaking out? Do you want to take that one?
1: I think... Well, I, mean, I think I think we already kind of addressed it. Like, there's this like speaking out when it's a it's a bolstering someone else's opinion. It's mm-hmm. a like no, you need to listen to what she's saying. Like backing up someone who's already saying what needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you're not interrupting or talking over, um, you know, someone. Um, but there's also this like part where like yeah, okay, so speaking up like you have good intentions, but this is like, this is continuing the impulses that you have been raised with. Mm -hmm. Like you believe that you need to say something because you have always believed that it's valid for you to say something because you exist as the final opinion because our entire society is geared around you being the center of it. So speaking out is not necessarily going to do anything Unless you have already done the work, yep. So I would say, just shut up and listen. Go read. Um, magnify fem voices. Magnify trans voices. Magnify survivor voices. Um, retweet, share, emphasize that people listen to things. Go around to your. This is such a basic thing. Go to all oh. of your male friends and and make them read the emotional labor Metafilter thread that was going yes. on a couple years ago. It's like 70 pages. It's worth your time. It's a slog. It's hard. Go read it. Humble yourself and do like a book club with your guy friends about it.
0: Yes. Do that. Um, also, when you speak out, amplify the voices that aren't like your own so if you're going to say something, use, use your microphone as a platform to someone else and be like, yeah, hey, you should listen to this person. Point it somewhere that isn't you. Amplify other people's voices. And
1: that doesn't look like you. I yeah. mean, this is the kind of the conversations that are often had about um, racism and like white people going to black people for education like oh should i be speaking up about this no don't talk to the people of color about how you're sorry that you're racist go talk to your racist white relatives and tell them that they're racist and help them be better yeah it's the same kind of thing it's like go talk to your own
0: you're the only people who apparently other dudes will listen to if you're a dude so educate each other do that work Listen to our voices and then take our information and tell your dude friends, hey, listen, this is bullshit.
1: And the minute you start feeling fatigued with doing that work, remember that we've been doing it all our lives and stop complaining because we're not going to be listening to you bitch about it. No,
0: no, no. This is every single day with no end. You're welcome. Please join.
1: Yep. All right. Well, this has been Kitchen Table Cult with Kieran and Hannah.
0: Thanks for listening. Uh, you can find our Patreon at uh, Kitchen Table Co- Cult Pod on Patreon and back us. And you get this a day early or however early it is until Wednesday.
1: We usually try to give it 24 hours at least. Yeah. Um, and we should plan an After Dark episode pretty soon. It's been a while since we did that.
0: Yes. That'll be coming soon. We keep having ideas about VeggieTales and stuff. That
1: <laughs> Stay tuned. We might do a VeggieTales drinking game.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we should. So
1: subscribe to the Patreon if you want to join us for that. And um, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, I am AJ Ettinger.
0: And I am MX Darkwater.
1: And you can... Um, ask us how to send us coffee money um you can retweet us and you can just like follow along for the uh, potential for the fun ride drinking party yes
0: <laughs> all right see you next week
1: bye bye